you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 16. We won't be there very long, but that's um, the last time I was with the church two weeks ago. That's where we tried to look at the Lord Jesus when he brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them, who do men say that I am? And he got the popular opinion, but then he asked the more pressing question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question for us is who do, who do we think that Jesus is in a personal level? And then those that we, um, those that we live life with, those that we associate with, that we build our lives around, what do they think about Jesus? And Peter made the great statement that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded to him that he was blessed, that he was happy, there was a blessing in Simon's life, and that flesh and blood had not revealed that unto him, but his Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, who is in heaven. That's verse 17 of Matthew 16. And he says in verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the, and I believe this is the, the rock of revealed truth, what had been revealed to Peter, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, the anointed Son of God, the Christ, the Savior. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says there, I will build my church. I believe that the, that the word church is, is, there's only two times that Jesus uses that word here and in Matthew chapter 18. We're very familiar with the word church. Um, of course, a lot of us have been brought up in church. There's churches on every corner of this. Uh, you can't drive down this road without seeing a church. Um, and, and the English word church, I found this interesting, was, was it came from a Greek word that means the Lord's or belonging to the Lord's. Now He says, this is my church. Um, in, the, in the New Testament time, the word church was originally used by the Greeks, to, and it meant an assembly of those that were called out by like a, a herald or for public affairs. So it was an assembling. If you, if you look in, I believe it's in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, the word, it's ekklesia, which is the Greek word that was translated church many times in our Bible, is translated assembly. It's a gathering of people. There's an assembly there. There's, a, there's an unlawful assembly there in Acts chapter 19. And so the church, as we know it, is a group of people who have been called out of the world. They've been called by Christ. They've been called through the gospel out of the world and into the church, uh, into this assembling of people to follow Christ and to worship Him. That's, that's what the church is. And a study of Scripture, you'll, you'll quickly understand that there are many individual churches that make up the church, that make up His church. Um. In Matthew 18, when he's talking about um, an offending brother or how to, how, to, how to handle offenses in the church, uh, after you've gone to the brother and then after you take two, or, uh, you know, two with you to the brother, if they're still offended, he says that you're to take it to the church. And he doesn't mean the global church as in all the churches combined, but an individual church, congregation. Um, you know, that, so... The point there being that there are multiple churches, we're a church here, that make up Christ's church on which he built, which the foundation of the, the rock on which he built his church. There are multiple churches. Um, here, here's an example. So in, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing this 
this letter, and he says, Paul. This is how he starts the letter. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So in this region of Galatia, he's saying, I'm writing this letter to multiple churches, individual churches, individual assemblies of, of people who are trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, learn about him, be more like him and worship him. He says, I'm writing to the churches, plural, of this region of Galatia. Um, in, in the book of Romans, chapter uh, 16, it, it, this word church is mentioned several times. Um, he says, I commend, this is the first verse, I commend unto you, Phoebe, this is Paul writing to the Romans, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. So she, is a, she, was, a, she was a servant of the church, this assembly of people, this group of people which was located at this place. Um, on, on verse 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So that's something we can learn about the church there, that unlike the Jewish synagogues and the assemblings uh, there, the church is, a, is an international organization full of people from all backgrounds and all nationalities. It wasn't just a gathering of the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. Um, his disciples were Jewish. But the church is something that, that transcends all cultures and, and ethnicities, um, language barriers. The, the church is a global thing, right? And he says the churches of the Gentiles. Then he says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. <laughs> How many of y'all would like to do church at y'all's house? <laughs> um, you know, people did that for years. People met in home churches. Uh, church buildings were, were not a thing in the, in the first century. Um, and you know, the, the, their house wasn't the church, right? The church were the people gathered in their house to worship God. We're, I'm thankful for our church building. Uh, thankful for the, the comforts that, that we're afforded in that. But you know, there was a church recently that we were taking up donations for that their church building was destroyed. But the church was still there. You understand? It's the people that make up the church. Um, and it wasn't just Paul that would say this. This is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you. So he's writing to the scattered saints. He says, Elected together with you, salute, saluteth you. As so does Marcus, my son. He, he says they, to salute is to greet, to bid welcome, to wish well to someone. He, they're saluting the other church. Now, we could have used that during COVID, couldn't we? We couldn't have the handshake or the, we could salute one another, right? <laughs> we could greet one another. But you know what they're doing? It's, it's, this is inner church fellowship, really. They're greeting another church. And, and for just a moment, as we're thinking about the church, that is an important part of the church. Something that's almost been lost in our day and age is inner church. Because here's one of the reasons. Most churches in America today are competing with the other church down the road for other people. They really are. And so we don't have inner church fellowship anymore. We have church competition, right? <laughs> but throughout the centuries, even the first century, it was biblical to practice fellowship with other churches of like faith and order. Um, and I can tell you one of the greatest blessings in your life. Now, 
first of all, you need to support your local church, right? But if there are other churches that believe like we do and worship like we do and we have fellowship with them, it's a good thing if you can, when you can, to support them. From time, you know, well, they may have a special meeting. Um, you know, I've got some on my calendar already for this year that I'm going to be there, and it will. It, it not only encourages them. Don't y'all like it when people show up to our special events? <laughs> Sometimes if it was just us, there wouldn't be anybody here. <laughs> now, that means y'all need to be here for our special events. All right. <laughs> But say Grant's Mill Church. There's a church right down the road. Grant's Mill Primitive Baptist Church. Brother Philip Dukes is their pastor. And there's nobody in Birmingham that's as, that's as... You can just count on him to be here at our special meetings. And I appreciate that. I've told him I appreciate that. And so guess what? They'll probably have some special services. This, and it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to go over there and visit with them. Um, Bethlehem Church in uh, Gordo. Uh, I... I've got their meeting on my calendar. It's in May. Or it's the last, I think it's the last weekend of April. And I hope to be there. Maybe I, maybe I won't be able to. I've been there many times and I've enjoyed it. Um, and, and you know, I've made good friends there because the, you'll, you'll find that people there are a lot like people here. <laughs> um, you know, there's Beulah here in Birmingham, Ebenezer. There's, I don't want to name all the churches. I'll leave some out. But it's a good thing to be strengthened by fellowship there and to greet them well. And I'd encourage you to do that. So Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, as we get back to the Bible, he says, salute one another with a holy kiss. Now that is not COVID approved. <laughs> We're not going to do that today. <laughs> but he says, salute or greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he says this, the churches of Christ salute you. The churches of Christ. So that gets back to the point that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16, that it's my church. You know, there's a church right behind us here, the Vestavia Church of Christ. And I'll have to admit, I like their name. <laughs> That's a good, we probably don't agree on all points of doctrine, but they got a good name, the Church of Christ. Um, you know, our, on our sign, it may say Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church, and I'm not opposed to that name. Um, but if we're not a church of Christ, it doesn't matter what name is on the building, right? This is, we, need, we want to be His church, do things His way, right? And be all about Christ. The churches of Christ salute you. See, the church is all about Him. He said, I'll build it on this rock. I will build my church, the rock of who He is and what He did. Um, you know, Paul talks to the Ephesian church about uh, the apostles and the prophets that had laid the foundation, but Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. The thing that holds the church together through the centuries is Jesus Christ. Um, the type of songs we sing, you know, we've got two hymnals here. We've got a big one and a little one, and some of the new songs are, they're, they're you know, they're different words. They may be different uh, in the in the way we sing those, but song the 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 way that we sing songs come and go, right? 500 years ago, we probably wouldn't understand some of the songs they were singing, and we'd probably think, you know, at some time, um, Be Thou My Vision. We sang that this morning. That's a wonderful song, isn't it? But some old person, some hundreds of years ago, complained that's too contemporary. <laughs> Y'all know that, right? <laughs> now we think it's one of the good old songs. <laughs> songs change. The, 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 Maybe the, the way we sing in some ways change, but 
but, but Christ is always the same, right? He's the cornerstone. He's what we can rely on. Later in, that, in Ephesians chapter 5, when he's talking about husbands and wife, he says that Christ is the head of the church. He is, he is the authority figure in the church. He is over the church. I'm not over the church. None of you are over the church. Christ is over the church. Some people say, well, where's your, your headquarters located? Is it in Nashville or California or Missouri or some foreign? We don't. It's in heaven. Our leader of our church is in heaven, right? The church, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. Um, you know, our worship in the church is all about Jesus. In that same, in, in the book of Ephesians, in that same in that same book that we were just talking about, where he, he says he's the, the chief cornerstone of the church. He's the, he's the head of the church. Uh, he closes out, I believe it's chapter 3, it says, unto him, unto God, be glory in the church. Do y'all see that? A lot of people have this idea that, you know, you can, you can glorify God outside the church. And I, and I understand you can glorify God in your home. Uh, you can glorify God through your hobbies. Everything that we... Everything that we do, not everything that we do, but we have the opportunity in everything that we do to glorify God, right? But primarily, the, the primary place of worshiping and glorifying God is in the church. You, they're inseparable. You can't, the, the worship of God and the church are, are so linked together that you can't separate them. And so he says that, that the, unto God be glory in the church by... That, this is how we're going to do it. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So he's, what, 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 we're, what we learn here is that if, if we as the church want to glorify God, we do that by coming together and worshiping Christ. Learning about Christ. The Father is most pleased when, we are, when we're all about Christ. Do you understand? That's how, that's how God is glorified when we try to live our lives like Christ and learn about Christ. Think about this. The book that we use, you know, we had some issues with moving the pulpit this morning and all. Why, some people say, why do you have pulpits? I mean, I could preach from this table. I could sit here and preach. It, the, the Bible doesn't say you have to have a pulpit, but over years we have traditions of, it is, of, of a pulpit, right? A man stands behind a pulpit and delivers a sermon. And it's not... It's not that I'm the star of the show or the preacher is the star of the show. I hope you, I hope, like John the Baptist, you know, he had a great, I mean, he had a great motto for life. He wanted to decrease and he wanted Christ to increase. Um, the preacher's not the star of the show. The, the reason we have a pulpit is because this is what's up on the pulpit, right? It's the Word of God. Somebody texted me the other day and said, said, hey, a few weeks back you made a good point about the parable of the sower. What was that point you made? Do you remember? <laughs> and my first thought was, what is the parable of the sower? <laughs> <laughs> and it had only been like three weeks. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe that's, you know, I'll, um, you know I've given stories before and somebody will say, well, I love that story. And I say, well, I know you heard it a few weeks ago. <laughs> I used to think, why is Brother Sam telling that story again? I've heard that one. <laughs> and now I remember, y'all don't remember half the things I say, right? <laughs> and I like that because I like to use the same stories from time to time. 
maybe a little bit of it, like, like, like maybe a little bit of the seed that we sow will sink in. But this very book that we use, and there was a group of people, I think it's in John 5, I could be wrong. Jesus says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. The book that, that holds us together, this, you know, doctrine, a lot of people think that doctrine and, 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 a, and a firm uh, belief of the word of God and having, and having strong beliefs, which I hope we do at this church, a lot of people believe that that divides, but that's really what unites, right? If, if this country didn't have the Constitution, we, we, wouldn't have, we, we wouldn't have made it, right? That's what has united. That set of doctrines has united this country to this. And, and, and as, we, as we drift further and further away uh, from a unity around the Constitution, what is happening in our country? We're as divided as we've probably ever been since the, what, 1860s. Because we're not united around something. See, this, this book points to Christ and, and His ways and His teachings. And when we're united around that and hold firm to that, we find that unity flows throughout the church, right? That's why you can go to these other churches and have this inner church fellowship and be united because we're all united around the same, uh, you know, firmly held beliefs. So this book that we have, uh, it's all about Christ. You know, Christ... Um, Christ actually determines, because it's His church. That's the point of the message today, right? It's His church. A lot of times you'll hear people say, well, that's Brother So-and-So's church, or that's my mom's church, or my granddad's church. Or uh, I've heard preachers be uh, before say, well, those are my deacons. <laughs> no, they're Christ's, right? We belong to, this, this is not Josh's church. Uh, this is, it's, it's, it's not a family's church. This is, if, if this is a church, and I believe that it is, it's Christ's church. And so Christ Himself owns the church. Um, he, he actually determines whether or not we get to be a church. You know, a lot of people will examine churches and say, well, this, maybe they're not a real church. I don't, I don't do that because you know who determines if a church is a real church? It's Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, we won't turn there, but in, in, in the very first chapter, there's seven churches that are listed, and John sees a vision of Christ walking among the candlesticks. And then in chapter 2, the very first church, the same church that, that he said, to whom he said that Christ is the head of the church, he's the cornerstone, that, that through the church will glorify uh, God. That same church, the church at Ephesus, he, he gives a message to that church saying, you have left your first love. You have fallen away uh, from the... from. Well, you used to put Jesus number one, and now you don't. And you know what he tells that church? He says, you need to repent. That's the first thing they need to do. Go back to their first works. And he says, if you don't do that, and this is the of the, of the seven churches, this is the only one he threatens with this. He says, I will come quickly and remove your candlestick. Now, the candlestick was, was really a podium on which you could put a light or a candle. And so what Christ is saying, what the, the message to Ephesus is, if you don't start acting like a church should act and putting Jesus first, your first love, I'm going to remove your ability to even shine. You see, remember, we were talking about not complaining or arguing. Uh, what, what was the reason in Philippians for that? So that those people might shine like lights in the midst of a perverse nation. Y'all remember that? 
What is, what is, see, light is very important to the, to the church. This word of God that testifies of Jesus, what does it do? What does the word of God do? The gospel do? Paul clearly teaches that it brings life and immortality to light, right? How do we know that we've been saved? How do we know that these things are true? It's through the word of God and the, the light that it shines. But if your candlestick is removed, you have no way to shine your light, right? And, and historians, you can read about it. A few years after uh, this, this threat really is given to the Ephesian church, uh, you could go a hundred years later and the name of Christ wasn't even heard. In the t- he, he came and removed their candlestick. So it's His church and it's important the way we act in His church because the threat is real that He could remove the candlestick from Vestavia. If we don't put Him first, if we don't put His ways first, if we don't try to worship Him in spirit and truth, he will, he will, He'll be long-suffering with us. He'll be patient with us. But there's a time that He comes and He can remove the candlestick and our ability to shine will be gone. And we may still function and sing the songs and try to preach and go through the motions, but eventually the church will rot away and die because there's no light. And and here's the point. Christ is the one that determines that because it's his church. Have y'all ever have y'all ever had maybe children? I don't know. Maybe your children don't do this, but they may question a rule that you've set forth in your house. And you know one of the greatest answers is because it's my house. <laughs> We're going to do it my way. When you get your own house, do it your way. I've heard Brother Sonny Piles before say, uh, if you don't like it, make your own universe and do it a different way. But that's the way God said to do it. (laughs) It's His way, right? Well, in His church, I want to finish this morning. We'll look the rest of our time. I want to look at the, the ordinances of His church. We've seen one this morning. But in his church, one of the marks of a church of Christ is the the ordinances or the traditions, the sacred traditions that they practice. And see, in the church of God, in, in Christ's church, he gave the ordinances to his church. It's not something that we made up. It's not something that we came up with, but it's a, see, an ordinance is a command. Uh, you can see in that word, um, ordained, it's something that's appointed. Uh, it's something that's given. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a, an ordinance, that word means a sacred tradition. It's something that Jesus both participated in himself and commanded us to participate in as well. And so the, 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 these traditions, these uh, ordinances, they have been observed or passed down. It's so cool to me. The things that we practice as the church of God, they've been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And we can still do the same things that Christ was doing when he was walking on earth. Isn't that amazing? You know, I told you that 2021, if you were here New Year's Eve, (laughs) I told you that 2021 was the year I did my free trial of (laughs) Ancestry.com. And I got as much about my family as I could in 14 days. And then I canceled it. (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, I, have, I am so convinced that, that our forefathers, our ancestors, you know, I heard this recently, someone say they were talking about the past, and they said it used to be that people would, would, would learn about their ancestors, learn about their forefathers in a desire to gain wisdom. Now we read about them and learn about them with our desire to feel better than them somehow. That's, that's prevalent in our society, right? We look down on the things that people did in the past, and we think we're, we're better than they are. That's a scary place to be, in my opinion. We need to learn from the past. We need to, we need to um, 
you know, not remove the ancient landmarks. It was it Jeremiah that said, look in the way and, and look, seek the old paths. Watch the news tonight at five for about 10 minutes. Tell me how it's going. Trying it our way. <laughs> not very good, is it? Here, is a, here, are, here are traditions, sacred traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation that your Lord and Savior participated in. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that they were to keep the ordinances as he had delivered them unto them. The things that, that, we're particip that we participate in in the church have been passed down from the Apostle Paul. Isn't that, that's just cool to me, isn't it to you? <laughs> um, and they're, they're sacred traditions that we should hold clear to. They're ordinances that, they're, they're a means of communicating what Christ has done. This is, you know, so many times we think, how could we communicate the gospel, right? What are ways that we could come up with to communicate the gospel, what Christ has done? Well, here are two things that Christ has given us that communicate what he has done for us. And they also communicate what you're going to do with Christ. You know, that's a big question. Who do you say that I am? Now, what are you going to do with that information? A lot of people can bury it inside. They may know the truth, but they're not going to act upon the truth. What are you going to do with the truth? So the two ordinances that we have in the church, the two uh, traditions that we that we have held to from the time that the church was established is number one we saw today is baptism. It's the initial ordinance of the church, and it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's 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 a one and done. It's and it's an ordinance that looks forward. And then we have the Lord's Supper or communion, which is a perpetual ordinance that the church follows, and it's a looking back. And so, for the time we have left, I want to look at that real quick. Baptism, you know. This is the second sermon that y'all have heard today. Y'all understand that, right? When someone goes into the water and makes a public profession, and it's, 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 um, it's inconvenient to do that. You get wet. You have to, you have, to have the courage to, to publicly ask for it. It's public and it is inconvenient, right? Much like discipleship. And so we've already, you've already heard the best sermon you're going to hear today before I ever got up here to preach. But baptism is the initial ordinance of the church. Um, you know, the, the Greek word literally means to plunge, to drown, to sink. It's uh, immersion into water by a gospel minister. You know, it was the, the ministry that got the first command to go out and baptize. We had John the Baptist that was baptizing, but at the very end of his uh, time here on earth, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ called his disciples his apostles to him and he told them to go into all the world and make disciples and that, that those disciples were to be baptized in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost so this ordinance of baptism was given to his ministry to go out into the world and to baptize people that wanted to follow jesus christ that's what baptism is it's it's the initial ordinance of a disciple it's the first step in publicly following Christ and saying you want to be a disciple of him. You know, it was Jesus who walked from Galilee all the way to Jordan. I believe it's about 70 miles. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 3 to be baptized of John the Baptist. And that was when he was starting his public ministry. See, when you want to go public as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the first thing you need to do is be baptized. It's the initial ordinance of the church. It initiates you as a disciple and identifies you with his church. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, uh, there's a group that asked him, they say, men and brethren, what should we do? He's preached about Jesus. 
Uh, they've been pricked in their heart. And, and they say, what should we do? And the first thing that Peter says is you need to repent and be baptized. You don't need to wait. You need to turn from your sins and be baptized. And, and it goes on to talk about those that were added to the church. Who were the ones that were added to the church in Acts chapter 2? It's the ones who were repented and were baptized. See, just as the worship of God is, is, is interlocked with the church, uh, being a church member and baptism are, are so linked together that you can't, you can't be one without the other. When the Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. <laughs> um, and now well, there's a lot that we could talk about in that, but you know what he's saying is everyone there in Corinth was baptized. Does that make sense? You can't, you can't be a part of the church unless you've gone through this ritual, this ordinance, this tradition of baptism. It, it, it represents, as you've seen this morning, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ but it, it also is a looking forward. I said that earlier. It's, it points to what you're going to do with this Christ, right? This one who died for you, was raised for you. Um, in the book of Romans chapter 6, it says that we are raised to newness of life. When you come out of those waters, when you come out from, 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 from uh, participating in this ordinance, you are now to walk as a disciple of Christ, you, something is different about you. It doesn't change you internally. It doesn't change, uh, you know, it, it's not linked to your salvation. I believe there'll be more people in heaven that aren't baptized than are. <laughs> I really do. But, but it's, here's what Peter calls it, an answer of a good conscience towards God. Um, when, you know, some people feel like, well, I've just, I feel so bad about the way that I've lived my life that there's no way I could follow God. That's the, that's the best kind of person to follow God, by the way. Someone asked me recently, how do I know, how do I know when, when I should be baptized? And I said, well, when you start feeling bad about not being baptized, that's a good time to be baptized because it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. And in that, you're saying publicly to all the world that you're going you're gonna to walk differently for the rest of your life. And you're part, of, you're part of the church. And we're here to not to judge one another or to nitpick one another, but we are here to encourage each other to continue. Although you're baptized one time, we're here, to, we're here to encourage each other to continue in that life, right? So that's what baptism is. And then we have the Lord's Supper and, and, or communion. And that consists where, where, where baptism consists of water and immersion. Uh, that consists of, of the... the taking of unleavened bread and wine. You know, this is a crazy question and maybe dangerous, but if you were God, is this what you would have come up with to celebrate you? Think about us. I mean, I'd have said, we got to have a ticker tape parade every month to celebrate me, and it's got to cost a lot of money, and anybody can do this, right? You can find some water, find some wine, find some bread. You can participate in the things that Christ taught us to participate in. And the Lord's Supper uh, consists of just, just unleavened bread and wine, and that represents His body and His blood that was poured out for you. Kind of the, the key text on the Lord's Supper, um, a lot of times in a communion service, the, the preacher will go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I won't read all that for you today, 
but, but it represents his body. In the 26th verse of that chapter, he says, For often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. See that? It represents, it's, it's not actually his body or his blood, but it represents his body. It represents his blood to you and to those around you. You know, it's interesting that, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, but it's interesting that, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are not just for us. That's an, that's, that can be evangelism. Brother Stephen Lopez couldn't be here today, but you know when, he, when his eyes were opened to the church, he witnessed a communion service. You remember that, Brother Mark? He's told us that story. He witnessed the communion service. And that's what opened his eyes to the truth. Isn't that amazing? See, God knew what he was doing, didn't he? <laughs> so we sh we're showing what Christ did for us. And it's a perpetual ordinance. It, unlike baptism that happens once and you, you're not baptized again, uh, it, it happens more than once or on a regular basis. A couple of times in, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we'll read this, that as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread, it's, it's something that you do it doesn't give the frequency with which it has to be done, but it's something that you do on a regular basis, as often as. So it's not something that we do one time. You're not baptized once, and you participate in the Lord's Supper once, and then you're done. This is something that we... And see, we need that because it's a, it's a, it's a looking back. Whereas baptism is looking forward to how you're going to live, this is, the Lord's Supper is all about looking back to what Christ did. And, and I don't know about you all, but I need a lot of reminders just to get through my day. I'm supposed to go with some friends tomorrow, um, honey, and I've got a list of stuff I've got to get before I go. And if I didn't make that list, I would get there and I wouldn't have that stuff. Any of y'all set reminders on your phone all the time? Sometimes I set reminders and they go off and I don't remember why I set the reminder. <laughs> um. So we need something. Jesus knew that we needed something that the church could do to look back to remember Him. So He says, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of Me. That's, that's a recollection, a remembering. Uh, recollection, I wrote this definition down because I'd forget it if I didn't. <laughs> it says, the act of recalling to the memory as ideas that have escaped. And you know, in this, in this, in this crazy world that we live in this busy world you can often go through the motions of church and still forget about jesus and still forget about what he's done for you and in the in the ordinance of communion or the lord's supper it reminds you of what you did or what christ did for you i'll give you an example of this as we close uh, over the last few years i've gotten Many uh, comments from some of you. Most of them are real good, but um, <laughs> about boots. <laughs> I, you know, I wear boots with my suit, and um, I didn't always do that. And uh, you know, brother Sam, our former pastor, he'd wear boots. I've had people ask me, "Are you trying to be like brother Sam?" <laughs> he needed the height. I don't. Uh, <laughs> Are you trying to be a better preacher? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd love to be more like Brother Sam and a better preacher. <laughs> um, 
you know, are you a cowboy? No, I'm about as far from a cowboy as you can get. <laughs> but when, when I was a kid, younger than Bo, uh, when I was a kid, every October, we would go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee with my family. Every October for about two or three days. And my granddaddy, he's dead and gone now, my mom's dad, he would take me from his, the time I can remember, and we, I guess we grew out of it eventually, um, but he would take me to one of the Western stores in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, and he would buy me a cowboy hat and a pair of boots. And I've, got, I've still got most of them. Um, Bo's wearing one of them now, cowboy hats. I can remember one time I had a pair of white snakeskin cowboy boots. And I can specifically remember in my mind walking through the Century Plaza. Y'all remember the Century Plaza? In a cowboy hat, white, white snakeskin boots, and wind pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I think back on it now. I mean, I was a kid. I think I had to look so goofy. But I felt cool. <laughs> Um, and, and so I got to high school. I remember I bought, I can remember going to buy boots and, you know, college, I wore boots and then I went to started to work and, you know, every day you're dressing in a suit. I had to dress up and I would wear just normal shoes and I just got out of wearing boots. And, um, several years ago, about six years ago, or a little more, my granddaddy died and, um, we were very close. And so, you know, we had the, he died on Wednesday, I remember, and we had the funeral, and it was the next week I was at work, and I was just sad, you know, and, and it was my lunch break, and I said, I'm going to drive to one of those Western wear stores, and so I drove to Alabaster, and I walked in, and man, you know, you can just smell the leather, and the, and it just brought back memories, and I bought these boots right here, y'all see them? I bought them that day, wore them to work the next day, <laughs> And, and so these are, these are about seven years old, six, seven years old. And since then, I bought probably four or five pairs of boots. That's about all I wear now. And the reason being is there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't. Every time I walk into one of those stores, um, <laughs> every Grace gets mad at me. She says, we're not going to go in one of those boot stores, are we? <laughs> We went to Coleman the other day. I saw one on the side of the road and just pulled in. <laughs> she said, what are you doing, Dad? I didn't buy anything. I just like to go in there and smell it. <laughs> but anytime I go in there, I put my boots on. It's not a time. I doubt there's a time that goes by that I don't put some boots on. And I think about how kind he was to me. My granddaddy. How gracious he was to me. You know, that's what the Lord's Supper is, isn't it? We take of that wine. It's a little bitter, isn't it? You think about the blood. Christ gave for you. When you take that bread and it's just crushed between your teeth and you think that God was crushed for you. That's what the Lord's Supper is. Sometimes we think, well, you know, we may minimize it. I'm looking more forward we have communion in June, June 12th. That's my birthday, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but it ain't about me, Josh. I don't know what I'm... And sometimes we just go through the motions there, but that's communicating to you what He did for you. 
Aren't you so thankful for what Christ did for you? And isn't it amazing that we have these simple traditions that in his church we can continue on and pass down to generation to generation to generation. That whether the church is here or in Africa or somewhere else, there'll be people there doing the same thing that we did, doing the same thing that our forefathers before us did, doing the same thing that Jesus did just a few nights before he was crucified for you and me. I love that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of this life. We thank you for, for giving us your church. We know you didn't have to establish your church, but you did. And help us to see what a blessing it is in our life. I pray, God, we know that a lot of times we want to do things our way. We know that it is your church, so help us to settle our minds and to try to do things your way, to worship you in spirit and in truth, your way. And, and as we witness things today, like the baptism that we've seen, that we don't take those for granted, but we, we understand that we're participating in a sacred tradition that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And may we, may we use that to be motivated to follow you uh, deeper and better. And, and when we get to participate in, in, in events such as communion, that we wouldn't take that for granted either, but that we would, we would use that time to, to settle in and understand what you did for us. Thank you, God, for loving us. I don't understand why you would love me, but we believe you do love us and we praise you for that. Help us, open doors of opportunity for us. Help us to love each other more. Help us not to, <laughs> sometimes we get concerned with, with bringing in others and, and we do hope that you'll open doors, but Lord, make us thankful for the ones that are here. I'm so thankful for this church, what it means to me. So thankful for Sister Abby for coming forward and becoming a part of our church and wanting to follow you publicly. For Pray that you will bless her and Brother Joshua. In, in the in the months to come leading up to their mar their wedding and that their marriage would be blessed and would be um, as another institution that you created that you would use their marriage to shine that light of Christ and his love into the world and it's in Jesus name we pray amen